0: We interrupt this broadcast with some important news. Let's rewind, then check out the biggest news stories from this week. It's time, it's, time it's
1: time for Taiwan This Week. Welcome to Taiwan This Week, guest hosted tonight by Ross Feingold. I'm joined in this studio by Stephen Tan of the Cross Strait Policy Association. Good evening, Stephen. Good evening. And on the phone from California, first time ICRT guest, a uh, corporate finance expert. Boyd Jones of Ushan Ventures. Boyd, welcome to ICRT.
0: Thank you, Ross. Pleasure to be here.
1: Tonight, we'll be talking about summits, the upcoming APEC summit, cross-strait relations, economic growth, the local elections, and the U.S. elections, where we will start. As everyone knows, the United States had its midterm elections earlier this week, the Democrats have taken over the House while the Republicans maintained control of the U.S. Senate. Stephen, what is the implications for Taiwan of the Democrats taking over the House but the Republicans maintaining control of the Senate? Well,
2: first of all, Ross, I think the fact that um, uh, Republicans... Taking over the house, uh, I mean, the Democrats taking over the house, where the Republicans, you know, keeping the Senate is something that has been uh, expected. So there is no surprise in that sense. Uh, I think, of, as far as Taiwan goes, it remains to be seen because there are a couple of things. One is the the business of commercial relationship between Taiwan and U.S. Another one is the um, the ongoing trade war and the competitions quote unquote between the United States and China and Taiwan is in the middle of it and as as you may know that there is um there is a G20 coming up in Argentina by the end of November and there is some ongoing discussions were possible trade deals between U.S. and China. I I think, you know, right after the midterm election in the United States, um, Taiwan is very closely monitoring the development as to how how it impacts or, you know, the magnitude of the impact on the trade deals or the failure of the trade deals between U.S. and China.
1: Boy, how does it look from California, which is a heavily Democratic state? Uh, Is Taiwan going to win from this election, um, from having more Democrats in the House, or is Taiwan hurt by that?
0: To some extent, I think it is a wash. It's neutral, uh, if not positive, leaning towards positive for Taiwan. And What I mean by that is if we take a step back and look at the Trump administration's trade policy towards China... All indications are that a broad uh, uh, set of Americans on both sides of the political spectrum support Trump's trade policy broadly. Um, And as a result, Taiwan, I think, depending on how it positions itself, actually can benefit from that. So, in some senses, the trade war was not even really an issue on the minds of voters in the U.S. elections that we've just had. And uh, I think either way, Taiwan is in either a neutral or a sweet spot.
1: Stephen, you spent a lot of time in Washington as a visiting scholar at the Brookings Institution. Uh, what about the, the loss from Congress, or specifically from the House, but to a lesser extent the Senate as well with some retirements, of Members of the House and senators who were very knowledgeable about Taiwan issues and very active for a long period of time. The most obvious one would be uh, the outgoing chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, Ed Royce but there are others as well. What are the implications for Taiwan?
2: Well, I guess uh, the tech role, the de facto embassy of Taiwan in Washington would just have to work harder and harder to you know, get to know more um, uh, newly elected members uh, on the Hill and then to try to, quote-unquote, bring them in to the Taiwan caucus and then uh, try to have... you Because know, each and every time after the midterm election... Or after, you know, each election, there's going to be a whole new bulk and there's some, you know, there's some newcomers that, that, that the tech crew would need to develop the uh, business relationship with. And I just want to echo uh, Boyd on, on your earlier comment. I think you're, you're absolutely right that I think on the trade issue between U.S. and China, there doesn't seem to be uh, some major disagreement between the two political parties, as you can see that. Um, Democrats during the midterm election season, they've never, um, um, you know, in the massive scale criticized Trump's Trade policy or the tariffs um, on China. So, so th- I wouldn't say that it's a hundred percent consensus between the two parties, but that is, or that has not been a major uh, dispute uh, before or during the election. And right now, after the midterm, I think this is one of the issues that has much less controversies for the Trump administration going forward. Uh, Stephen, do you?
1: Perceive though that Democrats might be less interested in being involved in either foreign policy or, or country specific caucuses, like you mentioned the Taiwan caucus. So many of the Democrats, including uh, from Boyd's state of California, ran on uh, domestic policy issues, right? Healthcare, for example. Right. And, and when they get to Congress, they might say, well, I. Taiwan, that that's nice, but my time and what I promise my constituents yeah. is I'm going to spend time on uh, domestic policy issues or oversight of the Trump administration rather than uh, supporting foreign causes. Right? Is that, that a risk for Taiwan? I,
2: I I would say yes. Historically, Republicans are more concerned or more interested or involved in the foreign policy. And the Taiwan issues. Now, if you look at the Taiwan caucus members, there's a big chunk of the Republicans than Democrats. Now, with the Democrats controlling the House, I think TACRO would, would need to work even harder to try to sell the ideas and bring the newly elected Democrats particularly Democrats, into the Taiwan Caucus because exactly that's the con- conventional wisdom that the um, the Democrats are much less interested or involved in, in foreign policy issues. But then you never know because things have ever been changing over time. So, I, But I, I do agree with you, Ross, that uh, the TACRA would need to work harder on that.
1: It's a good transition to our, our next topic, which, which is the uh – several Taiwanese-Americans who've been elected to government office in this election, both uh, at the federal level as well as at the state level. Boyd, you come from a state with uh, a large Asian-American population. Well, why is it that we're seeing more Taiwanese-Americans, Chinese-Americans, Korean-Americans getting elected to office?
0: I think uh, it's actually a a sign of the times, a a sign that America's uh, model, as, as it were, is working. There are a lot of opportunities in this country. And to some extent, one's particular ethnic background does not necessarily drive that. So um, we are seeing new generations of Asian Americans, Taiwanese Americans, that are not only succeeding in the business world, but entering politics.
1: And yet, um, and yet the, the voting result uh, shows that consistent with recent elections, Asian American voters broadly supported Democrats uh, overwhelmingly uh, rather than Republicans, something like uh, 75% or more of Asian American voters, similar to other minority groups, voted for uh, Democrats in this election. Uh, boy, can you give us some insights as to why this split is so dramatic
0: one thought I have on that subject is that all politics are local. Um, a famous Speaker of the House in the U.S., Tip O'Neill, was famous for saying that. So some of these Asian-American politicians are working in their communities and leveraging the political um, bias of their communities to then succeed in the political arena. Um, some people feel that uh, the American political system actually supports political entrepreneurs. Um, Maybe the Taiwan system does as well. Um, But uh, I touch on that broader subject. It does seem, though, that there is a little bit of almost bordering on balkanization in the U.S., where one's ethnic background seems to drive your political um, uh, sort of voting preference.
1: Stephen, if it's true that all politics is local, does that mean that some of these newly elected Taiwanese-American politicians would not want to get involved in in issues related to Taiwan and, again, would just want to focus on local issues?
2: Well, I I think it's hard to say. Um, Indeed, all politics are local, but I think you just have to look at each and uh, every constituent as to see uh, whether um, the, the you know the the congressmen or senators, you know, are in a way secure uh, in, in 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 their respective constituents uh, to look into things beyond the continent. Well, take take Grace Mann, for example, right? She, you know, she, she's on the fourth term. Uh, from New York's 6th Congressional District. And then, you know, she got she got overwhelmingly votes, 91%. I, I don't know enough about um, her and her constituent, but in, in her case, I would imagine that uh, she's pretty secure in her uh, district or constituent in order for her to look into foreign policy, international relationship, you know, a U.S. role in the ongoing role in Asia Pacific, including China. His relationship with Taiwan, the things of that nature. So also, I, I guess it depends. And
1: let's move on to the local elections here in Taiwan, uh, just weeks away. And everyone is watching the major cities and will start in Taipei for the latest developments, which included a poll this week that claims the gap between the incumbent mayor, Ko wen and challenger from the Kuomintang, Ding Shouzhong, is getting smaller Stephen, should we
2: believe these polls that uh, say the gap is getting smaller? Does Ding Shou-jong have a chance? I I cannot comment specifically on the polls, but I, I think, you know, historically, there are some, you know, methodology issues. There are some institutional effects. There are some angles. Sometimes it can be a part of the campaign. So we, we don't know, and I can't comment on that. But, you know, Ross, you ask whether Ding Shou-jong will have a realistic shot you know, I I think everyone everyone in the sense all the all the major candidates in a sense they they do, uh, it, 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 well, whether or not so enthusiasm is picking up, I I think yes. But then I think you know, uh, historically in the Taiwan election, during the last month or so, the last few weeks, there have been some changes. Right now, it's a very close call, but I think um, uh, uh, I think the the incumbent seems to uh, be uh, at this point uh, lead this all the polls and, and
1: all that. So we'll see. And over in Gaoyou, we have this uh, Hangzhou Yu, and what people call in in English the Han Tide, which is a translation for the Han Leo, and uh, the popularity that he seemingly has. Oh, Boyd, one of the things that Hangzhou Yu is is running on is his ability to spur the economy of xiong Is that something that can do, uh, in your view?
0: I think so. From California, as I've been, um, obviously with not the erudition as you two gentlemen, look at politics in Taiwan and the election, uh, I am seeing globally, not just in Taiwan, but globally, sort of political personalities coming to the forefront. So when I look at Mr. Han and what he's doing in Gaucho, it brings to my mind American political figures, be it Donald Trump or be it Bernie Sanders, um, really strong personalities that can affect policy. In terms of economic development, I think that's always a winning issue. And um, his critique of the current state of Gaucho, justified or not, actually reminds me of some of Donald Trump's critiques. And in, uh, in 2016, so it's it's very interesting how that's developing.
1: Stephen, you, you're you're familiar with a, a lot of the political leaders both at the the central and municipal level. Are, are the critiques legitimate? Is is there more to do for economic development in Gaoyoung? That that and, and can Han make that a a closing issue? Can he close the argument in the next few weeks by focusing on economics?
2: Um, I think the, um, the would you say the Han kuo Han the Han's phenomenon, I think it's a very uh, interesting one. I think to a certain extent, it's a reflection. Well, you know, he gets where he is right now. I think to a certain extent, it's a reflection of the uh, voters' dissatisfaction this, this with both the incumbent or the ruling party on one hand, and also KMT on the other. So Han, as an alternative um, a KMT candidate, uh, gradually captured that in the astonishing way. But then, if you if you if you look at the platforms and some of the speeches or some of the thoughts that he uh, iterated and reiterated during the election campaign, it's it's very obvious that he is. On the right wing, uh, the, some of the comments that he made is that, you know, we just want to make money, develop the economy, uh, then all those applications for the political parades. I'm going to say no if I am got elected. And it gets some support from the grassroots. So I think it remains to be seen as to not just the Han Liu or Han wave. But, 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 but also whether there is a right-wing movement. I don't know. I cannot say specifically as to whether this will be the case uh, because this just is happening just for the past two months, right? And, and then whether or not uh, his constituents were the Kaohsiung uh, citizens uh, realize that this is probably the case because some of the comments that he made ha- has already hurt him. Hurt him uh, big time. Uh, and then um, I think with the uh, elections being uh, upcoming in a few weeks, there, there will be some changes and adjustments to some of the rhetorics. And then again, after the election... Um, Whether or not uh, he will make it, Uh, I think there are some some discussions as to whether or not there is a train moving towards the right. And uh, this this would not just be happening in Kaohsiung, but across the border in Taiwan.
1: Uh, Boyd, as a knowledgeable observer of the technology industry, that, that's something that the incumbents in Kaohsiung have been talking about, that we've been able to bring uh, a lot of change to Kaohsiung, improve the, the environment, the cleanliness of the river, but we've also gotten a lot of large technology companies to increase their investments here in Kaohsiung. Is that a winning argument for the incumbents, uh, for, the, for the DPP candidate to say the DPP leadership has been consistent in bringing tech industry expansion in the Kaohsiung area?
0: I believe it is. Um, when you're the incumbent, you have to argue on what you've done, what your successes have been. Um, I do have thoughts, which may be a broader critique of Taiwan's focus on technology and the sorts of technologies they focus on and how they do it. But given the characteristics of Taiwan, they've done the best they could pursuant to their kind of political, local uh, situation. So, um, yes, that is an argument that I think would resonate seeing the development of Kaohsiung. Is it where it's supposed to be yet? We don't know. The voters will will decide.
1: And let's move on quickly to Taichung, where Mayor Lin Jialong opened a floral expo last weekend and uh, offered his city residents uh, heavily discounted tickets to attend. Stephen, is there going to be a flower boost in what's currently like Kaohsiung and New Taipei, a very close
2: race? Yeah, in a very close race like this, I think um, um, the incumbent, uh, Mayor Lin Jialong, uh, is still enjoying a small margin as we speak uh, for the flower expo as such. Uh, you know, the conventional wisdom is that it will boost some of his popularity and approval rating. and But then um, then I think any incumbent, including Mayor Ling, would also be uh, suffering from some other negatives, for example, the air pollutions and all that. So we'll, we'll see, um, you know, it, because Flora Expo seems to be doing very well so far, and it attracts a lot of attention and people do look into that and then, you know, the citizens will take pride for a flower expo like this. And again, within a few weeks from the election day, and I think this will probably uh, boost um, a bit of um, Mayor Lin incumbent Mayor Lin Jiang's popularity and approval rate, and it it will, as predicted, predicted, uh, helping on the re-election campaign.
1: Uh, Boyd, uh, what is the winning issue going to be as we get into the closing few weeks of this campaign in Taichung? Is it going to be, uh, I have a great floral expo, or you've dirtied the air, as the <laughs> Gomi <Dang> argues?
0: <laughs> it, it, it's always difficult when you're an incumbent on a local level. You have to actually run on your record, run on what you've done. And as an observer from abroad, the floral expo, what I've seen online... Videos, websites, other forms of marketing seem quite impressive and world-class. So that and other aspects of his record that he can run on, I think, will be the winning argument.
1: We have to take a short break now, but we'll be back
0: after these commercials.
1: (music) Welcome back to Taiwan This week in our next segment, we will discuss the export data released this week by the government for the month of October, which was very positive, whether measured year to date uh, just for the month of October versus previous years, month of October. And despite all the talk of a trade war, Taiwan's exports are still going Strong and no doubt, such happy news about export data will be good for incumbents from the DPP running for election. Stephen, why is the export data so positive despite talk of a global trade war?
2: Well, now uh, you, you look at the data, right? The there are twenty fourth month consecutive growth on the export. Now that that is a good thing. That is a reflection of the global economy uh, for the past two years, the um, the export is really doing well. Now, um, the concern that we may have is, as you just pointed out, Ross, uh, the escalated trade wall between uh, US and China. And to what extent it, it will affect Taiwan and Taiwanese uh, business owners and companies, but to what extent it will make uh, An impact that will um, uh, make it a di- to a different direction. We're we're very closely monitoring that. Um, we're we're all you know with fingers crossed that it will not hurt that much. But it looks like if there's a full-fledged and further escalated trade war between the uh, U.S. and China by uh, President Trump's um, uh, you know enlarging the list of the tariff. Um, and and the, the list of items in the, with the increased tariffs, um, they will be a detrimental effect on the Taiwan economy. So is the export numbers and all that. So I think this will be the biggest curveball uh, between now and sometime uh, next year.
1: Boyd, what's your take on on the very positive export data for for Taiwan?
0: My my take is slightly different in the sense that in the sense that. I see a number of uh, foreign companies, foreign enterprises, American, German, etc., they've developed, even before the Trump-China trade war, they developed a so-called China Plus strategy, where given a lot of the issues in China in terms of rising wages and costs and environmental regulations, uh, difficulty of doing business, they've, been diversifying their supply chain away from China. You can't do it completely. China plus. And I think both anecdotally and from some data I've seen, Taiwan is benefiting from that in part. Most foreign business people I know, they would much prefer, and I mean nothing bad by this, to do, to, they would much prefer to do business with Taiwanese than mainland Chinese. Um... Just given cultural issues and the degree of internationalization. These figures may be an indication of the China plus strategy wedded to the trade war actually benefiting Taiwan to some extent. Not as much as in Vietnam or in Indonesia in terms of the, let's say the low wage manufacturing, but it feels to me like business is coming back to Taiwan.
1: But well, boy, one of Taiwan's strengths is, of course, its IT industry, but actually the data shows the growth in the IT, some of the IT-related exports was not as high as some other types of exports. So is the IT orders or the industry itself, the manufacturing, returning to Taiwan? Because the data might not support that. What's your explanation for the rather modest growth in the IT exports?
0: Well, I wasn't uh, referring just to IT. I have been in touch with people who also go to Taiwan for rather low-tech, lower-tech needs, uh, batteries, uh, pump parts, etc. cetera. So um, I, I think you may have hit the nail on the head. The IT products may not have been growing as much in terms of export, but it, it, it feels to me from a macroeconomic perspective that Taiwan could be benefiting not only from China Plus, but what I'm hearing people talk about, which is the West having a strategic disengagement from China, if that is truly a term that becomes common, it means a lot of change, maybe some of it positive for Taiwan.
1: And Boyd, how much should we uh, read into the growth in exports with regard to pre-ordering by uh, U.S. or other buyers in advance of higher tariffs or the potential for higher tariffs? There are are companies in in the supply chain just getting their order, rushing their orders uh, ahead of uh, potential uh, trade disputes in twenty nineteen Is is that part of what's going on with these positive numbers?
0: That's definitely a factor, um, and I, I think that uh, that plus the booming economy are, are driving that. So the kind of pre ordering is definitely something I'm seeing, even anecdotally with specific suppliers,
1: specific companies. And we'll stick with China issues and discuss the latest in polling of how people in Taiwan feel about China. The Mainland Affairs Council earlier this week released a new poll showing 83% of respondents prefer the status quo. Stephen, what is the status quo?
2: Well, uh, first of all, Ross, uh, Many Chinese Affairs Council, or uh, MAC, uh, they actually do this on a monthly basis. So they actually track down this on a very steady basis. Now, the the, the number is pretty much um, consistent. Eighty-ish percent, you know, prefer status quo uh, consistently. And that, that is a reflection of the current uh, cross-trade uh, policy by the Thai administration. Now, you ask, what is the status quo? As cool. I would I would say that there are at least two aspects right a uh, political connotation uh, it gives um, a, 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 a very a, a linguistic and generic sense that we don't want any changes in the uh, political entity where uh, we want to keep where it is uh, that that means that there is no near-term um, uh, De facto unifi- uh, independence as well as unification, but but that but that is a sort of a, sort of a commonsensical and political commenta- connotation. If you look at the legal implications, and that is pretty consistent. Uh, that is that is, as President Tsai uh, consistently reiterated, this is based upon the uh, the constitution. Amendment to the Constitution and some of the rulings, practices, and the principles and court orders in accordance with the uh, constitutions of the Republic of China, and and and, and plus the um, the Cross-Strait Relations Act and its implications and rulings and orders and all that. So altogether, that is the legal, um, the the legal aspect or the legal connotation of what I say the quote unquote. Uh, status quo. So two things if you put together. So legally, we have a pre-existing framework that governs the cross rate relationship, which is really the domestic issue because cross rate relations is not just a politics or the policy, but it's a legal issue. If you look at the Constitution and the current laws, we have a pretty stable and consistent framework here. Um, then if you look at the people's wishes, uh, and then people in Taiwan would prefer us a commonsensical uh, a, a phrase to stay where it is or stay where we are. And that is sort of the commonsensical slash political connotation, the implication on what it means by status quo. And then, then the constant polls by the MAC shows that there is a very, very high consensus on, on remaining the status quo. But
1: are, are these polls open to criticism given the reality of a threat from China. So – To, could we simply say that people will select the status quo because Taiwan is facing a threat if the people of Taiwan were to choose a different path? Does that make the yeah. these polls correct. of limited
2: utility? Well, correct. There are some other research institutions, for example, National Chenji University. And some uh, there is a professor at the Duke University. I mean, they all do various different uh, scenario-based uh, polls on the um, – uh, to, to dig out a little bit more, a lot of which on a quote-unquote "what if" basis. Now, uh, this gives you some indication and some ideas on what we, what if the situation or the scenario changes. What your what would what would your preferences be? But but again it's it's pretty much it, I think the um the status quo remains the majority. and it's just uh, the only difference is the number or the percentage if you If you take out all the preconditions, it's like, what would you prefer? Then you can see the number issued by mac eighty three percent. then of course, I don't have the data with me, but if you set up some preconditions and some preferences, the number drops, but it's still more than fifty percent.
1: Boyd, uh, the overseas Taiwanese community uh, often is very supportive of a different path for Taiwan's future. Uh, How do people outside Taiwan um, who are Taiwanese uh, Taiwanese Americans, for example, view these kinds of poll results, and and how would they explain it to people in the United States?
0: I think you've hit the nail on the head with that question, because the Taiwanese Americans I uh, interface with, um, it's Uh, a very uh, difficult issue for them as well. Um, They have to go into history, geography, and other issues with, let's say, their fellow Americans who who might be quite ignorant of some of these geopolitical issues. When I'm speaking to them, uh, personally, it, it does seem, and it's anecdotal, it's my personal interactions, Many would prefer Taiwan to have its own path, to be able to go its own way. Um, but they're also struggling with the issues that uh, you and Stephen mentioned in terms of uh, the presence and intentions of China uh, and the support or lack thereof from other parts of the world.
1: Stephen, would this poll have any impact on the upcoming local election and what the the candidates from either the DPP or the KMT, or an independent like Merkel here in Taipei, uh, coming being released so close to the election, does it have any impact on the messaging in the election campaign?
2: Uh, I I would say uh, not much, as we as we pointed out that all policies are local. We also mentioned that the midterm election earlier in the United States. Then the foreign policy, you know, the the, the trade war against China, th- those issues have not historical, historically been the major focal points uh, for the for the midterm or the local e- elections. Now here it comes to the Taiwan e- election. I would say pretty much the same. I mean, there are some rhetorics as to you know each you know various different candidates' respective relationship with China, and then also how China could potentially and possibly influence the election process and the outcome in Taiwan. But then again, the cross-rate relationship has not being or not yet being the focal points um, of the local election uh, uh, this year, as as it's always been, you know, for the this this would not be the midterm election, but it's it's close enough or equivalent to the U.S. midterm election, and then the presidential re- election two years later. Uh, of course, the cross trade economy and all those issues will be the focal point. But right now, I think each constituent and each, each district will have a different issues. Cross trade is not on the surface as the major focal. So I wouldn't say that um, this this issuance of the newly uh, max poll on the status quo uh, will, will, will make a big difference one way or the uh, the other on the process or the outcome of the election.
1: Boyd, do you agree? Uh, China issues in keeping the status quo, not a major issue in the local election.
0: I do agree. I truly do think all politics are local. Uh, and uh, I think there are local issues in those municipalities that would be higher up on the priority list for, for voters.
1: Okay, and let's move on to the upcoming APEC Leader Summit. Uh, there was media speculation this week in Taiwan that Taiwan's representative, Morris Zhang, the recently retired CEO of Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, was going to meet with Vice President Mike Pence, who was attending the APEC Summit uh, on behalf of President Trump, or possibly even Xi Jinping. Stephen is... Morris John going to meet these important world leaders at AIPAC. Well, and If he does,
2: what will he say? Um, Morris John, as you know, uh, he's a world-class leader. He is not just a leader in the semiconductor industry or foundry businesses or even the tech, but he, he is just world-class leader, period. Now he's fully retired. He is so influential and very highly regarded President Tsai asked him to be uh, the quote unquote the ambassador, or the representative of Taiwan in the APAC. I think, as expected, he will um, meet and greet all all the other attendees, the other world leaders, including U.S. V.P. Pence, you know, President Xi of China. Uh, but I would not expect um, that. Uh, uh, Mr. Morichang will have some su- substantive discussions or even delivering some of the messages for and or on behalf of President Tsai or have some other um, substantive uh, dialogue with either VP Pence or President Xi. But I, I would say that it's it's more on the general discussions on the courtesy basis as you can reasonably expect it in the summit of the APEC as such. Is that a change from the
1: past, though? Because when Song Chuyu, James Song, represented Taiwan the past two years, there was much speculation, Stephen, if he was in fact carrying a message from president Tsai to give to Xi jinping
2: well i i think uh, uh that what the nature of the APAC as the business leader now uh i think uh th- th- this time around i think uh, uh the president Tsai appointed um morse uh, uh, morse to uh, to be the representative i think i think the expectation on um, um Mr. Chang delivering some political, some messages on the, with the political implications, uh, would be much less. Uh, given his statures and given his track records and all that, and also, and also to a certain extent, uh, given where we are in terms of the you know the world economy, the geopolitics, and the U.S.-China relationship, I think a lot of which, from Taiwan's perspective, would be on the standstill basis. Of where, where, as I just pointed out, we're closely monitoring the situation, uh, but I think the big chunk of it uh, remains the uh, ever-changing U.S.-China relationship.
1: Boyd, Stephen mentioned uh, that APEC is in fact a uh, business-focused meeting. It's not a political or security-focused meeting. And we've been discussing in this program Taiwan's technology exports and technology industry in various parts of Taiwan. So as a CEO or recently retired CEO of uh, one of the world's most important technology companies – what, what value does Morris Chong bring to the summit? I mean, what would he say based on his own experience uh, in the tech industry and the tech supply chain to the other world leaders or Asia-Pacific leaders that he'll be meeting?
0: I think that is the value that they would see in him, in addition to any uh, political message. Um, I think of uh, Foxconn is in Wisconsin, although that may have had negative effects in the recent election or uh, re-election of the governor there. But it could run a very wide gamut from hardcore economic issues. What could someone like Morris Jong do for the tech industry in China or in the U.S. to the political issues? Um, Mike Pence might be under instructions to to, to interface with the Taiwan delegation as a a tactic in the trade war. We just don't know.
1: Stephen, is that a possibility that Mike Pence will have more public time with Morris Zhang to send a message to China?
2: Well, I wouldn't wipe out the possibilities, uh, given uh, that uh, Vice Pre- uh, VP Pence, you know, delivered a speech earlier, this uh, you know, in October in the Hudson Institute. On, on its U.S.-China policy, but I I think I don't have a high expectation on any sub- substantive uh, delivery of the messages uh, from VP uh, Pence uh, to the Taiwan representative uh, in the APEC summit because there are tons of other venues and opportunities uh, at this moment. You know, the communications between the Taiwan administration and the current Trump administration seems to be pretty well and pretty smooth, and I I do not expect that the APEC summit would be the perfect venue in delivering any substantive messages uh, from the U.S. administration or VP Pence on China to the Taiwan representative.
1: And before we go, we'll look very quickly at another interesting uh, item of news this week here in Taiwan which was foreigners in trouble with the law. The news was filled with foreigners arrested for various crimes, such as possession of marijuana, as well as involvement in financial fraud. And since this panel has two lawyers, as well as two foreigners who have lived in Taiwan uh, for many years, and one person who's myself, who's both a lawyer and has lived in Taiwan for many years, uh, let's try and understand this uh, Stephen, why are Thai, why are foreigners in trouble with the
2: law in Taiwan? Well, we got we, we, we got more foreigners in Taiwan now than so before. we should look at this positively. Well, <laughs> it's just a natural <laughs> and, outgrowth and, and, of a larger foreign population. Well, and, and 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 then you know, uh, for, foreigners are law-abiding citizens, and sometimes they break the law. Sometimes they breaking the law hit the news. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's something abnormal. I, I I would just say that you know it's just that we have a more population of people from outside of Taiwan, you know, and you know, people have various different uh, status. Some are teachers, some are professionals, some are students, some are entrepreneurs, and you know, some of them get themselves into trouble. Boyd, is there a foreigner crime wave in Taiwan? Should should the (laughs) locals be scared?
0: Yes, I don't think so. These incidents that uh, we've seen in the news lately, Um, I think I I echo a lot of what uh, Stephen said. Uh, Taiwan, one of the things that I love, I think we all love about Taiwan, is it truly is a democracy and it has rule of law. And uh, if you break the law, you should expect uh, the consequences. So I think these are kind of blips, uh, anecdotal blips, and um, it just shows that uh, Taiwan is uh, moving along quite well under the rule of law.
1: Well, on that positive note, we will leave it there. And I'd like to thank our studio guest, Stephen Tan of the cross Strait Policy Association. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you, Ross. And uh, say a good night to Boyd Jones, who joined us from California. Thank you, Ross. And don't forget to check out the Taiwan This Week podcast on iTunes and Android podcast apps, where you can get access to all of our previous Taiwan This Week shows. Tune in again
0: next Friday evening at 8 for another informative look at the top stories of the week with Taiwan This Week. And don't forget to also check out our podcast on our website, icrt.com.tw. Now keep it here for more music and news, only on ICRT-FM100.